A very good morning to you and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine on this Friday. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. On shortwave, we're on the frequencies 3345 kHz on the 90-meter band to Southern Africa and on 5980 kHz on the 49-meter band to East and Central Africa. On DSTV Audio Bouquet, we are on Channel 902 and we're also on the Internet. So, good morning to you from wherever you're listening. My name is Asanda Matsaunyane and with me in studio is Onele Nsinzi, Amanda Machaga and Tami Kuza. This is what's coming up this hour on Africa Rise and Shine. The South Sudanese government has laughed off calls by its former Vice President Rik Macha for President Salva Kiir to resign next month. South African political parties express mixed views about the degeneration of the National Assembly proceedings. And after an intensive 14-hour manhunt, the man suspected of killing nine people in a United States church during a prayer meeting is now in police custody. In business, leading mobile phone provider Celsius is threatening to take Ikasa to court. And in sports news, FIFA hires top U.S. lawyer to battle corruption storm. The plot thickens with FIFA. All those coming up, but first let's get the news. Here's Onede Tsinzi. Thank you, Asanda. And looking at your latest news, the Nigerian extremist group Boko Haram has crossed into neighboring Niger, attacking two villages and killing 40 people. Governor of the Defar region, where the attack occurred yesterday, says fighters hit the villages of Lamana and Ngomawa near the Nigerian border, looting stores and burning homes. He added that the army went in pursuit of the attackers. Boko Haram last attacked Niger in April and killed 58 people. Former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi will appeal against a conviction for violence, kidnapping and torture imposed by a court over the killing of protesters. In April, Morsi and 12 other members of the Muslim Brotherhood were sentenced to 20 years in prison without parole on the charges. On Tuesday, a Cairo court sentenced Morsi to death over a mass jail break during the country's 2011 uprising and passed severe sentences against the leadership of Egypt's oldest Islamic group. The Muslim Brotherhood Brotherhood has described the ruling as now and void, calling for a popular uprising today. A pistol could be agreed in Mali by the end of this week, according to the force commander of the UN mission in the country, Minusma. A coup detached in the West African country in early 2012 continues to breed instability and violence. UN peacekeepers have been targeted in some of the violence, with 37 losing their lives and more than 200 wounded. Major General Michael Lola's guard is the commander of Minusma. The situation is very tense. We are close to finishing a uh, long period of negotiations towards the finalization of the peace agreement. And hopefully by the end of this week we'll have a signature by the last rebel groups, uh, the coordination group. And then we hope that the situation will ease down and we will have a more peaceful implementation of the peace agreement. It will be a complex implementation. We have good plans in place. I think everybody's ready to take uh, the tasks that are necessary. But of course there are many moving parts when we start the uh, implementation. Malawi's President Peter Mutarika says his country needs nearly half a billion dollars to repair the damage from devastating floods that killed 176 people earlier this year. He has made the appeal for international support in this recovery and reconstruction program. The Department of Disaster Management Affairs says the rains cost the agricultural sector $65 million, sweeping away 200,000 livestock, 520,000 houses and one thousand kilometer of road. In February, the World Meteorological Organization warned that Africa would experience more drought, heat waves and deadly floods in the future due to climate change.
And finally, President Barack Obama has pointed to the unmatched frequency at which the United States endures mass tragedies as a result of gun violence in the developed world. He was addressing the media moments after a 21-year-old suspect was arrested for the alleged killing of nine parishioners in a historic black church in Charleston, South Carolina on Wednesday night. An image taken from Facebook shows Dylan Roof wearing a top with the old South African and Rhodesian flags. However, it is not clear at this stage if Roof has South African ties. The U.S. Justice Department has launched a hate crime investigation into the incident. Obama has stressed the importance of the American public collectively coming to grip with the issue of gun violence. I don't need to be constrained about the emotions that tragedies like this race. I've had to make statements like this too many times. Communities like this have had to endure tragedies like this too many times. We don't have all the facts, but we do know that, once again, innocent people were killed in part because someone who wanted to inflict harm had no trouble getting their hands on a gun. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelin Tsinti. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Central African time. You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Thanks for tuning in from wherever you're listening, internet, DSTV or shortwave. Welcome to our show. Thanks to Onel and Sinzi for the news update. My name is Asanda Mazzaunyane, your host. The South Sudanese government has laughed off calls by its former Vice President Rik Macha for President Salva Kiir to resign next month when his constitutional term in office expires. Macha told the SABC that there is no need for a transitional government, but rather there should be a caretaker government to prepare for elections. This comes as the African Union decided on a new expanded mediation team that will include regional body IGAD and five other countries. Matlatse Gellens reports. 18 months since the violence broke out, Africa's youngest country is yet to know peace. 1.5 million people have been displaced. Another half a million have fled to neighboring countries. Hundreds have been killed. Regional body Egad has led the mediation efforts, but now the African Union Heads of State Summit expanded the team to include representatives from all regional blocs with South Africa, Chad, Nigeria, Algeria and Rwanda. Rich Mashar temporarily left the bush for Johannesburg during the summit. He welcomed the latest decision by the AU but says President Kiir must step down come July 9. His time is up. He won't be anymore uh, an elected president. He cannot be described like that. What he should do now so that peace comes is resign by midnight is July 2015. And then a caretaker government is formed, which will bring about peace, will prepare for elections. There is no need of having a transitional government under an illegitimate president. The South Sudanese government has ruled out Kiel's resignation, saying it would create a power vacuum. Its ambassador to Pretoria is Philip Jad Natana. That is just a very laughable uh, comment to come from um, uh, Riyad Machar, who is a rebel leader, because I think it is, it is a bizarre thing that he is talking about a constitution, why he has rebelled the same, again, is the same constitution that he is talking about. So as a government, we are not surprised that we are receiving such comments from uh, Riyak Machar because um, he has always tried in many ways to come to power, and I think this is one of the ploys that he is trying to say, according to the constitution, that so that he can uh, find himself to come to power. Both Mashai and Kiel supporters have welcomed the African Union's decision to expand the mediation team and is concerned that their neighbours were negotiating with vested interests. South Sudan is oil rich. Frustrated over the slow progress in the peace talks, the African heads of states have threatened sanctions that will include travel bans, asset freezes and arms embargoes.
However, Ambassador Natana says sanctions are not a good idea. What we want is a peace that is really genuine and a peace that is, is sustainable. So if you are threatening sanctions, that means what? That means you want to impose peace. And uh, from our own experience, we have seen that a peace that is imposed actually at the end of, of the day never works. Now, the threat of sanctions, of course, is something which I think um, as a government we think it's going to have a negative impact on the peace process. Specialist research at the Human Sciences Research Council, Dr. Olivia Labukana, is not hopeful that the new round of peace talks alone will silence the guns anytime soon, as so many other agreements have been violated. And Masha's comments have her even more worried. She says it has largely been a battle of personalities as much as it has been a political one. In terms of a peace process that will be stable, I think it's a journey and it's a long-term journey, which is why I say again, a transitional justice process needs to be put in place and be given time. It's not something that can automatically happen, as we have seen in the past. If the two leaders undertook to actually listen to each other, it would be a starting point, and that is yet to happen. Both sides have welcomed the party mediation efforts by ANC Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa and hope the process will continue. That report by Mahlatsi Gellens. South African political parties have expressed mixed views about the degeneration of the National Assembly proceedings that led to the adjournment of the House during President Jacob Zuma's oral reply session. But the Economic Freedom Fighters remains unapologetic, as Mercedes Besant reports. It took a political party of 25 MPs to make National Assembly Speaker Balekambete to ultimately adjourn the proceedings. DA leader Musi Maimani was disappointed that the House had to adjourn. I think, you know, there's only one person who wins, and it's President Zuma. Unfortunately, the people of this country lose. I don't support the actions of the AFF in this regard. I think we should ultimately, if we agree that this is a process that we must take, then we must uphold the process. The idea that we must in fact adjourn the house and collapse it, President Zuma gets away without accountability. National Freedom Party Chief Whip Nsantla Kubisa was also disappointed. We wanted the president to account. There were questions that he had to respond to. And as the NFP, we said that we are very passionate about the issue of Nkandla, but I want the president to, uh, to, to respond to questions. The ANC's chief whip Stone Cizani, who believes that Mbete took the right decision to adjourn the House proceedings, says the behavior of the EFF did not come as a surprise. In fact, we knew they were going to do this, and we understood that uh, the speaker uh, obviously will be accused for being biased like uh, she was now. But uh, amazingly, the speaker was patient. And uh, in her wisdom, she thought cool heads will prevail when there's a, a brief adjournment. But cool heads never adge- uh, prevailed. Freedom Front Plus Chief Whip Gornay Mulder says if Parliament had put in place other mechanisms to deal with disruptions in the National Assembly, it would not have been necessary for the Speaker to adjourn the House proceedings. Parliament should have done what we told Parliament to prepare for about six months ago. We said more than when it happened in August last year, we said Parliament should have its own capacity to deal with this order in the House. You don't have to get the police, you have to have your own capacity to deal with that kind of disorder. You cannot allow 6% to disrupt the proceedings of Parliament. But UDM leader Bantu Holomisa and COPE leader Musiwale Kota have shifted blame to President Zuma and Speaker Balekambete. Well, I think, uh, first of all, it's clear that uh, the presiding officer has lost control over the proceedings of the House. She even this last time just say I'm adjourning the meeting without even removing the mace. So it just shows how confused she is. The president of the country, by not respecting the constitution, he's made himself clearly guilty of destroying our democracy. The ACDP and the PAC were among the two political parties that were expected to ask questions during the oral reply session. The ACDP, Steve Schwartz, condemned the actions of the EFF. We from the ACDP are very disappointed at the conduct of the EFF today. The president was here to answer questions 
our question related to Chapter 9 institutions. He may well have responded to our follow-up question. We were going to put a follow-up question about the Nkandla report. And he was here today, but it was disrupted by disorderly EFF members. And we, as members of parliament, need to take a firm stand against this. PAC parliamentary leader Lutando Mbinda had to ask the president about the pardon applications of PAC-aligned political prisoners. He says he's not disappointed that the House had to adjourn without him asking the question. I know that there will be time, you know, for Uzuma to, to respond to the PAC question of political prisoners. But at the same time, we, we don't want to be taken for granted as political parties. But uh, at the same time, I'm saying Uzuma, you know, he made a mockery of the uh, citizen of this country last time when he spoke about Ngandla. So maybe that is why now this EFF is responding that the way they are responding. When he addressed the media after the adjournment of the House, Malema said the EFF will not rest until the president gives a date of when he is going to pay back the money. We're no longer, we're no longer asking Zuma the question, when are you paying? Even if he answers the question, but he doesn't give the date the time and the venue, then the matter will never rest for the next five years. Every time he appears here, you can be guaranteed 2016 state of the nation. If that is the only time he's going to come back, he will find us waiting for him. Yeah. Where is the Nyugu? The money. <laughs> Meanwhile, the presiding officers of parliament, led by Balekambete and NCOP chairperson Tandi Mudise, held an urgent briefing following the incident. Mbete justified why she rather decided to adjourn the proceedings of the day instead of removing the EFF MPs who were chanting payback the money. It's always an option at the back of our minds because indeed we have that option according to the law, but under the circumstances, it didn't pose itself as an option today. And it also helps to be able to allow certain occurrences to unfold, to allow not only members of parliament, political parties that are represented here, but also the public to observe for themselves and to reach their own understanding. She said as presiding officers, they will now look at the way forward on how to deal with yesterday's conduct of the EFF. And now that President Jacob Zuma could not answer oral questions in the assembly, his next oral reply session is expected to be on the 6th of August this year. That report by Mercedes Percent. South Africa's National Prosecuting Authority, the NPA, has a new head. President Jacob Zuma has appointed advocate Sean Kevin Abrahams, a senior state advocate in the NPA's Priority Crimes Unit. This is a month after former head Mkolisi Ngasana resigned from the position. Usichimombe looks at who Abrahams is. President Jacob Zuma has expressed confidence in Sean Abrahams. He singled out his vast experience and technical expertise. He has wished him well in running the critical organization. Spokesperson for the Department of Justice, Mtun Zimaga. Advocate Abrahams is the senior state advocate that the president believes will instill stability to the NPA. And with his 17 years of prosecutorial experience, that being the highlight of his career, the conviction and sentencing, of Henry Orca, who is the Nigerian national who was convicted of terrorism. With a permanent appointment and good support system provided to Advocate Abraham, the president is confident that he will steer the ship towards the right direction. Orca was found guilty on 13 counts of terrorism, including engaging in terrorist activities and conspiracy to engage in terrorist activities. Abrahams was involved in the trial of four right-wingers who were accused of plotting to explode a bomb during the ANC's Mangaung elective conference. Institute for Security Studies senior researcher Otilia Maunganidze has worked closely on projects with Abrahams for the last eight years and says he has contributed a lot to the development and mentoring of others in the profession. He is dedicated to developing the National Prosecuting Authority, but then also we've worked with him through the Africa Prosecutors Association and he he is the lead drafter 
of the prosecution manual for the APA. And that alone, it's, it's not something that's part of his job, but something that he thought was necessary to do in terms of developing the capacity of African prosecutors, not just South African prosecutors. Abraham's professional credentials include 17 years of experience in prosecutions and three law degrees from the now University of KwaZulu-Natal. However, his relative youth and the perceived hastiness of his appointment have raised concerns by opposition political parties, while others wanted a parliamentary process to appoint the new head. The NPA has long suffered from instability. It has had four permanent and acting heads since the firing of Vusipikoli in 2007. None of the appointed heads have finished their term. His predecessor, Mkolisi Masana, received a multi-million rand golden handshake, being appointed for less than a year. Maunga Nidze believes that he has what it takes to weather the storms he will undoubtedly face. He does have the political astuteness uh, in my mind to be able to, to handle the job. And, you know, just based on his years of experience, he's worked for the NPA for 17 years. That is a fairly long amount of time to be working within the same institution and still being able to make a difference. So I hope that he won't suffer from political interference, but what I can say is he does have the maturity to be able to handle the job. Maga says Abrahams has been given the necessary security clearance, a problem that dogs Masana following his appointment. He takes over from acting NDPP Silas Ramaite with immediate effect. That report by Busi Chimombe. The year 2014 represents a historic milestone of 20 years of freedom and democracy in our country. An occasion to reflect on what has been achieved over the past 20 years by South Africans working together. Women have equal rights before the law, which did not exist before 1994. Workers have 20 years of enjoying rights, including trade union, workplace organizing, collective bargaining, equal pay for equal work, health and safety, affirmative action, skills development, minimum wages for workers in vulnerable sectors, the right to strike and the right to peaceful protests. South Africa is a successful story. South Africa is a good story. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Africa Rise and Shine comes to you every weekday from 5 till 9 a.m. Central African time. Remember, you can send us your views on our show. You can find us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa is our handle and Facebook as well. We are Channel Africa there. While Malawi has failed to nationally implement digital migration, Lilongwe has reduced prices of digital television decoders from $44 to $33 following public outcry. Malawi, like other countries, was supposed to migrate from analog to digital television broadcasting on Tuesday this week. George Mango reports from Blantyre. This means that Blantyre and Lilongwe residents will have to wait until September this year to go digital, according to government spokesperson Kondwan Nankumwa. Authorities said Malawi trolls Tanzania and Namibia, which have overtaken Mauritius. The country initiated an on-off transmission launch of digital migration on December 31, 2013, in line with SADC requirements. But the Malawi Broadcasting Corporation MBC TV system was put on hold. Afterwards, and government attributed it to lack of content to sustain the digital technology. A media practitioner, Albert Shara, explains. Actually, it was unfortunate that I think there were some hitches that were registered. And at the moment, you, you, can, you, can, you can see that most people, they are like being caught unaware. Because if I want to use this, the, this new digital, digital, digital service, needs to have these modern decoders, of which at the moment most people haven't bought. And the most... Uh, 
uh, another setback is that this, uh, these decoders are not available in, in the designated areas. And uh, another issue that I've observed as a journalist is that uh, there's been little on sensitization. Most people are not are not following the issue. It's like uh, it's a jargon to, to many people if we say digital migration. And you know, if you go around the, the communities, you will see there are still those long areas on, on, on top of the houses. So it means... Uh, Government have failed. We, we had a long period. This, started, this story started to be preached some time back, but the way it has been handled, government, uh, I think, it handled the issue like everyone knows knows the, knows, knows the topic. And the main focus area has been in urban areas, but in the villages now, people are using solar to watch TV. Now, if they are watching TV, but then they are not following what is happening, when the switch one was coming in, most people were shocked. I'm, 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 some, some people were telling me that, for example, in Zuzu, People are not knowing what, what will happen if the, the switch on happens. And 15,000 decoder, even they have reduced the price, but 15,000 is still a, 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 a huge sum to, to many because we all know that uh, according to the Human Development Index, most Malawians are still living on just less than a dollar. And uh, at the moment, at the moment we are, when we are saying technology is the, the way to go and people need to, to be watching TVs, but we are not in line. We are not in line to, 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 to achieve that, and that, that is a setback. So what, what, what I can say as a journalist, I would say, as government, we have been so slow in the way we have handled the, the, this issue, and uh, we haven't prepared well. And if we, we are not creative, if the minister is not creative enough and come up with a proper strategy, we'll get up to December without most of the people maybe having this access to digital, to digital services. So I would say it's time government should learn from what happened when they are trying to switch one. That was on Tuesday night. And then... They should make sure that these decoders are available and maybe the price, they should also consider the price to, to reduce it. Maybe at least 10,000 or 5,000 because it's not, we are not only talking of the working class that need to be watching TVs. We have got this other group that lives in the rural areas and they are very poor. They also need to watch these the, the TV, TV stations as we are, we are now having many TV st- television in Malawi. Authorities say nearly 7.5 million Malawians living within 80 kilometers from Zomba, Blantyre, Lilongo and Ibzozo were ready to migrate to digital TV on Tuesday, but awareness on the part of government seemed to have affected the switch. Through digital migration, the switch off will render TV areas and antennas useless, and the TV users will need to buy the set-top boxes, STBs, being distributed by Malawi Digital Broadcasting Limited through post offices to access the digital signal. Therefore, the discount is in line with the SADC guidelines on consumer protection and awareness adopted in June last year at the 7th Digital Migration Forum in Botswana, which requires countries to cushion customers from the effects of digital migration through subsidy for purchasing digital receivers. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Today is the 19th of June 2015. There are 195 days left in the year. These are some of the interesting facts of what happened today in history. In 1910, Father's Day celebrated for the first time in 1910. In 1862, slavery was outlawed in U.S. territories. In 1881, on this day, Muhammad Ahmad becomes Mahdi of Sudan. Uh, a Mahdi in popular Muslim belief is a spiritual and temporal leader who rules before the end of the world and restores religion and justice. Also today in 1913, the Natives Land Act, Act Number 27, was passed in South Africa which confined Africans to hopelessly overcrowded reserves and deprives them of rights to purchase land outside the native reserves. Also today in 1979, Mali's constitution goes into effect. Those are some of the interesting facts of today in history. 19 June. The year 2014 represents a historic milestone of 20 years of freedom and democracy in our country. An occasion to reflect on what has been achieved over the past 20 years by South Africans working together. Women have equal rights before the law which did not exist before 1994. Workers have 20 years of enjoying rights, including trade union, workplace organizing, collective bargaining, equal pay for equal work, health and safety, affirmative action, skills, development, minimum wages for workers 
in vulnerable sectors the right to strike and the right to peaceful protests. South Africa is a successful story. South Africa is a good story. Africa rise and shine. Africa zora. Africa amka na unai. Eight thirty Central African time here on Africa Rise and Shine. It's time for news headlines. Here's Onelinzinzi. Boko Haram attacks two villages in Niger, killing 40 people. The Muslim Brotherhood calls for a popular uprising today as former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi appeals against a conviction for violence, kidnapping and torture imposed by a court over the killing of protesters. And political parties in South Africa have mixed reactions to the degeneration of the National Assembly proceedings. Channel Africa News. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thanks, Onele. Africa Rise and Shine is the name of the show. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. After an intensive 14-hour manhunt, the men suspected of killing nine people in a United States church during a prayer meeting is now in police custody. The slaughter of six women and three men in the historic Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, has shocked the nation with heartache and sadness expressed from the White House and elsewhere, while the Justice Department has launched a hate crime investigation. 21-year-old Dylan Roth was apprehended about 260 kilometers away in the town of Shelby in neighboring North Carolina, as shown Bryce Peace reports. The Justice Department's hate crime investigation is a reaction to the broad view that this was a racially motivated attack. The white suspect is seen in a picture posted to Facebook just one month ago, wearing a jacket with the old apartheid and Rhodesian-era flags on the front, causing a swift response from the Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, that her office would investigate whether this was a racially based crime. Acts like this one have no place in our country and no place in a civilized society. And I want to be clear, the individual who committed these acts will be found and will face justice. Even as we struggle to comprehend this heartbreaking event, I want everyone in Charleston and everyone who has been affected by this tragedy to know that we will do everything in our power to help heal this community and make it whole again. Eight people died at the church while another died en route to the Medical University of South Carolina. Surveillance footage of the suspect allowed for his quick identification and capture as police chief Greg Mullen explains. We've arrested Dylan Roth, R-O-O-F, from Lexington, South Carolina. He was arrested in Shelby, North Carolina, during a traffic stop. Uh, at this time, we have uh, not only FBI agents there, but we also have SLED and City of Charleston detectives uh, preparing to fly to Shelby, North Carolina, to uh, begin the interview process as well as evidence recovery. At the White House, President Barack Obama said it was especially heartbreaking that this attack happened in a place where people came to seek solace and peace while he also addressed a broader concern. I've had to make statements like this too many times. 
Communities like this have had to endure tragedies like this too many times. We don't have all the facts, but we do know that, once again, innocent people were killed in part because someone who wanted to inflict harm had no trouble getting their hands on a gun. The White House has long sought to address the proliferation of guns across the United States, but fails to have the requisite support in both houses of Congress. Now is the time for mourning and for healing. But let's be clear. At some point, we as a country will have to reckon with the fact that this type of mass violence does not happen in other advanced countries. It doesn't happen in other places with this kind of frequency. And it is in our power to do something about it. I say that recognizing the politics in this town foreclose a lot of those avenues right now. But it'd be wrong for us not to acknowledge it. And at some point it's going to be important for the American people to come to grips with it and for us to be able to shift how we think about the issue of gun violence collectively. The Reverend Dr. Norval Goff of the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Columbia, South Carolina, spoke about the significance of the Emmanuel Church where the attack took place. It's a place where change has taken place down through the history, even from slavery until now. The church is a destination point when one comes to the city of Charleston. Uh, Mother Emanuel is noted for bringing about change and working together to build bridges, not only in the Charleston community, but across this nation and across the state. At this moment in time in our history, we too must continue to stand for what is right and to help make a difference. And violence in any place is not acceptable on any level. Witnesses in the church said the suspect reloaded his weapon five times, ignored pleas for him to stop, and made racially laced statements to justify his killing spree. It is unclear if Dylan Roth has any South African or Zimbabwean connections. I'm Sherwin Bricebees in New York. The UN mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo says the whole UN family is involved in taking care of Burundian refugees in that country. About 10,000 Burundians who have recently crossed the border to the DRC, fleeing violence in their homeland, have found asylum in the Fizi territory next to Uvira in the Congolese province of South Kivu. Shanuel Bamwezwe reports. Both the National Committee for Refugees and the United Nations High Commission for Refugees have recorded about 10,000 Burundians who have been given asylum in Fizi up to now. Among them are people of different categories, including vulnerable persons such as elders, pregnant women and hundreds of children. But really, the true number of Burundians who have fled their country is not well known since many of them haven't entered through the official border and they are staying in host families in Uvira. Both Uvira and Fizi are the two territories of the South Kivu province in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo that are close to Burundi. Those Burundians who have been given a shelter in Fizi are the ones known officially. They are being taken care of and their humanitarian situation is under control, according to the UN mission here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. After a visit in Uvira at the border between the DRC and Burundi, the chief of the UN mission here have said the whole United Nations family is involved in taking care of those people and nobody will rest until the last refugee can go back to Burundi. Martin Kobler. Well, we are working very closely with the CN uh, Committee uh, National pour les Réfugiés, the CNR, uh, UNHCR is involved, IOM is involved, the whole United Nations family is involved here in order to take care of the about 10,000 refugees uh, uh, in the area, in the Fizi uh, 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 territory here. I was myself in Uvira at the border of, of Burundi and I have seen the refugees. I have the feeling the situation here from a humanitarian 
humanitarian perspective is under control, but it's not normal to have one refugee. And our slogan is one refugee is one refugee too many. So we will not rest until the last refugee went back to Burundi. The United Nations family here won't rest indeed, but the situation is a bit complicated since there are other people who continue to flee Burundi up to now. The movement then continues and newcomers use different unofficial ways to cross into this country. They explain that they are fleeing since nobody knows what might happen in the next days. Most of the Burundians crossing into the Democratic Republic of Congo describe the security situation in their country as an unreliable one and say they are not really sure maybe the next situation might be worse. Jean-Noël Bamweze, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Cameroon public health workers have gone on strike demanding better living and working conditions. The protesters have been complaining about the bad ranking procedures of the health sector professionals, the discriminatory distribution of bonuses and family allowances since 2014. Moki Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé. <laughs> This baby cries in pain at the emergency ward of the Yaoundé University Teaching Hospital with no medical staff ready to help. By her is 24-year-old Odiopo Alain, who says his 72-year-old grandma has also not been attended to. He says, truly, there is total negligence of patients and all workers of the hospital, like nurses and some doctors, are spending their time on their computers. He says they are refusing to treat patients and what he is praying should not happen is patients dying. He is asking the government to do something urgently. A majority of health workers have shunned their duty posts. National Union of Health Workers Trade Union leader Awama Osoma Luk, that called the strike, says they are protesting poor working conditions and poor pay. I'm so disappointed. How can you imagine a patient coming to get back his health and uh, meeting thinking environment it has become so dirty and everything equipment and broken down completely it seems instead of taking care of the patients the gen manager rather takes care of money nurse mbala clement of the union of health and medical personnel says they are also protesting because infrastructure at the hospital as well as all other government hospitals in cameroon is either bad or outdated government should take care of the workers, the maintenance of equipment. And also, we should ask ourselves, where are we acquiring our material? I suppose if the machines are broken down every day, it is because they buy it by what we call second hand. That is why every day, every month, in the radiology service, nothing is going. Among the grievances tabled to the government, are the payment of all of their outstanding salaries, some dating 12 months, the updating of technical platforms, fluid supply of essential medicines, and a stop to what they say is a high wave of corrupt practices and extortion of money from patients by administrative staff. Health Minister Andre Mamafuda says he received a list of 16 grievances from the personnel. Deux syndicats, le Sinpen et Cap Santé, ont effectivement annoncé un mot d'ordre de grève. He says two health trade unions effectively informed him that they were undertaking industrial action until all their 16 grievances were addressed. He says most of the issues they raised are pertinent and they have to look for lasting solutions. Mais des solutions soutenables, des solutions responsables. Although Mama Fuda promised to tackle some of the problems, he says most are above his capacity. He 
He says they cannot immediately solve the problem concerning retirement ages without changes on the public service code for civil servants, meaning that lawmakers should first of all work on it, but that for the moment there is only one person who can extend their retirement ages. What Minister Mama Fuda means is that only Cameroon President Paul Bia besides the country's National Assembly, has the right to extend retirement ages of the staff from 55 to 60 years. The strike action started on the first week of June, but was temporarily suspended when government started negotiations with the health workers. It was again called this week when the trade union said nothing good was coming out of the negotiation table. They have promised to continue until their problems will be solved. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé. Central African time. Let's get economics news. Here's Amanda Machak. Thank you, Asanda. Good morning. Cameroon's public health workers are on strike demanding better living and working conditions. The protesters are complaining about the bad ranking procedures of the health sector professionals, the discriminatory distribution of bonuses and family allowances since last year. Mogi Kinzaga reports from the capital Yaoundé. The doctors are justified to ask for fees which are a reflection of their cost structures. That is the cost of running a particular practice taking into consideration the profile of the people that they serve. Obviously, somebody who stays in Phantom, the cost structures are not going to be the same as those of, of a doctor who practices in Pampunstadt. So that's very important principle. The African Development Bank, in partnership with the Climate Investment Funds and the Government of Tanzania, have launched the Renewable Energy in Africa, Tanzania Country Profile. The publication highlights the country's inroads in renewable energy, as well as opportunities for scaling up the energy sector. Over the past decade, in an effort to strengthen and modernize the energy sector, Tanzania made a series of profound policy reforms, which include the creation of a regulatory entity and formulation of the energy policy that encourage private participation through independent power producers and small power producers. According to the minister from Tanzania's Minister of Energy and Minerals, in the next few years, large investments are foreseen both in general and in rather generation and transmission. Sub-Saharan African central banks have parked a global trend by increasing borrowing costs this year to ward off inflation and defend their currencies. They've had little success. On Tuesday, Uganda's central bank boosted its benchmark rate by 100 basis points for the second time this year, while Namibia raised its repurchase rate by 25 basis points on Wednesday. Angola, Kenya and Ghana have also tightened monetary policy and South Africa has indicated it will follow suit soon. Brazil is the only major emerging market outside Africa to have increased rates this year. African nations have uh, fared worse than most due to the compounding effect of lower prices of commodities that account for the bulk of their exports. The South African Reserve Bank says increases to the road accident fund and petrol price hikes have also contributed significantly to changes in their inflation outlook this year. The bank inflation forecast for 2015 changed from 3.8% in January to 4.8% in March. Factors that were central to these uh, revisions 
included the unexpected increase in the road accident fund levy in the petrol price, changes in the international oil price, the impact of drought on spot prices of maize and wheat, and their possible implications for food prices later in the year. And bank withdrawals have accelerated and government revenue slammed as Greece defied its international creditors, escalating a debt crisis that may reach a climax at a European Union summit next week. Savers pulled out some $2.3 million between Monday and Wednesday, double the amount that the European Central Bank granted Greek Greek banks in extra emergency liquidity assistance for the whole week. The International Monetary Fund has meanwhile dashed any hope that Greece could avert default if it fails to repay a $1.8 billion loan by the end of this month, piling pressure on Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras, who showed no sign of yielding to the lenders. In our financial indicators, the South African rand is trading at 12.23 U.S. dollars, 9.71 Botswana Pula, and at 7.34 Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at 0.64 to the British pound and at 0.89 to the euro. On to commodities, gold is at $1,199 and platinum at $1,081. And the price of Brent crude oil is at $64.27 a barrel. That's how it's looking at this hour. At 8.50 Central African time, let's get sports news. Here's Tamit Luza. Liberian Football Association Chairman Musa Bility announced that he would stand as a candidate to become the next president of FIFA following the resignation of Sir Plata. Plata announced earlier this month that he was standing down after the board was hit by a wave of corruption allegations that are still sending shockwaves around the footballing world. The 48-year-old Bility is the second person to declare his candidacy after former Brazil international Zico. Bility, who has led the Liberian Football Association since 2010, is not afraid to make a stand as in 2011, he broke ranks with the majority of his African colleagues by stating that he would vote against Blatter. The Football Association of Zambia First President Kalusha Bara is reportedly set to unveil new coach before the end of the month in the wake of a dismal showing by the Chipolopolo boys. Zambia threw one all with, Gambia, with Guinea-Bissau in dollar last Saturday, with most fans walking away disillusioned despite replacing coach Ona Chanza for George Luandamina. Zambia will host Namibia in the 10th tournament, and the final leg will be played on July the 4th. The winner will face Mozambique or Seychelles in the final round decided in October for a place at next year's tournament in Rwanda. In netball, the South African Spa Proteas are through to the final of the Diamond Challenge following their 65-39 victory over Uganda at the Ugu Sports Facility outside Margate last night. They will now play Malawi in tonight's final. The Malawians beat Zambia by 60 points to 34 last night. Michael Fismas has more. The Spa Proteas are through to the final of the Diamond Challenge following their 56-39 victory over Uganda at the Ugu Sports Facility outside Margate last night. They'll play Malawi in tonight's final with the Malawians beating Zambia 60-34. The Spa Proteas are looking for their second victory over the world number fives at this tournament, but as captain Mareika Holtzhausen admits, they're well aware Malawi will throw everything into this final. Really prepared for it. I think they're really going to bring it to us uh, expecting a physical game from them, so we're going to have to in rugby, the South African junior Springboks want to finish the World Rugby Under-20 Championship on a winning note when they face France tomorrow in the playoff for a third place at their World Rugby Under-20 Championship. The bronze medal match will take place at half past 6 p.m. Central African time in Cremona in Italy with a championship final between defending champions England and New Zealand set for half past 8 p.m. Central African time. After enjoying an off day on Tuesday, the South Africans returned to their training field yesterday for an evening session followed by another field exercise late this evening at their tournament base in Parma. 
And finally, former South African protest left arm spinner Nikki Boye believes that the ongoing protest spin bowling camp has been a revelation to the South African spinners ahead of their respective tours to the subcontinent next month. The three-day camp held at the Cricket South Africa Center of Excellency under the tutelage of former protests such as Boye, Paul Adams and Vincent Barnes is scheduled to end today. Boye says that the camp commenced at the right time of the season. Yeah, I think it, it's been very good. Uh, I think the hard thing for the spinners at the moment is it's, they're bowling quite a lot of overs which um, or a lot of balls in the net, so it's a bit of hard work for them. But, you know, it's good. It's early in the pre-season, if you can say it that way, except for the guys that's going on tours and stuff now. But it's important to make sure that the technical faults are sorted out. The South African A-side are in preparation for their tour of India where they will participate in a limited overs triangular series against India A and Australia A in July. Meanwhile, the Proteas have their sights set on Bangladesh for two tests and three one-day internationals and two T20s before touring India later this year. Boya says that it's a great to have such preparations before embarking on the subcontinent. Yeah, I think definitely. Um, that's why we've invited quite a lot of the batters, uh, under-19 guys that, that's been to Bangladesh and, and struggled there, and a couple of the pro-tier guys and also South African A guys, you know, to give them the opportunity to, to really go out there and bat against spin, just getting used to facing quite a lot of spin. And I- that's the end of our sport, and back to Asanda Matsaunyane. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Let's recap our top stories from this hour. The South Sudanese government laughs off calls by its former Vice President Rick Macha for President Salva Kiir to resign next month. South African political parties express mixed views about the degeneration of the National Assembly proceedings. And after an intensive 14-hour manhunt, the man suspected of killing nine people in the U.S. church during a prayer meeting is now in police custody. In business, leading mobile phone provider Celsi threatens to take Ikasa to court. And in sports, FIFA hires top U.S. lawyer to battle corruption storm. Well, that's where we end this hour of Africa Rise and Shine as well as for today. And thanks for listening. From me, Asanda Matsaunyane, producer Tracy Bomgard, and technical producer Charles Moyo, and the rest of the team. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org or SMS us plus 27796957930 is the number. Taking us to the top of the hour, here is Freedom for Some by Jonas Gwangwa. A great weekend to you all.